Hello, welcome to Behind the Scenes with me, Colin Edmonds, a podcast in which people working in entertainment, behind the cameras, kindly share with us their never-before-heard anecdotes and stories. These are voices you don't often hear. I also chat with performers and actors to get a glimpse behind the glamour, the business behind the show. If you enjoy our podcast and like to consider becoming a Patreon member and support the podcast further, please check out the Patreon link below. Also, if you're interested in any of my steampunk murder mystery novels, then please go to steamsmokeandmirrors.com. And I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. Cue the music, Marky. Taking us behind the scenes this time is a television comedy and light entertainment producer whose very first job in TV was a bit of post-university work experience, scribbling out cue cards for Bob Monkhouse. Yeah. 25 years later, his career came full circle when he, when he undertook the role of edit producer on Bob Monkhouse, The Million Joke Man. That was the UK documentary series which celebrated Bob's life and career. Our guest this time has worked on television specials and series headed up by Paul Merton, Anton Deck, Chris Tarrant and Harry Hill. And he's produced shows and series starring Sean Walsh, David Williams and Griff Rhys-Jones. More recently, he was the series producer on the ITV Saturday Night Ratings winner Paul Sinha's TV showdown. And he's also an accomplished independent movie maker, film animator designer and an artist whose canvases have been showcased in London. So it's a joy to welcome the immensely skilled, the multi-talented, Mr. Grant Philpott. <laughs> welcome, Grant. Ahoy there. Uh, How you doing, Cole? All right. Thank you, sir. All dandy. And that's a lovely laundry list of, of wide and varied interests and skills that you have. But first of all, congratulations on Paul Sinha's uh, TV showdown. Just finished its second series of broadcast. That must have been given your passion for the history of television and your knowledge of television that must have been a joy to produce that series it was it was uh, it was incredible to um be locked down and looking for work like many of us you know during um the last couple of years and suddenly getting the call out the blue saying um well we've got this show that itv want to make and basically it was a, it's actually based on um telly addicts and uh, Telly Alex was um, something I did a, another version of uh, back in yeah. about 2002. It was, uh, I did a celebrity addicts and a soap addicts, a uh, couple of versions of that, and uh, with um, Richard Arnold and Lisa Rogers. And, uh, but yeah, so I'd done that show and then um, I thought, oh, I know this format, and, uh, but let's make it a little bit more fun. And uh, during <laughs> lockdown, I listened to lots and lots of podcasts and, um, you know, Rob Beckett and, um, Faye Ripley, both names that sort of jumped out. It's like, well, let's get them as um, sparring partners on the on the teams. Oh. So that was really, really uh, great to get those guys uh, on board. And we just got the best, some of the best guests. And uh, yeah, we had about five five weeks to turn the whole thing around. Something crazy to get us to, to studio. And um, um, but we managed to pull that off. And um, yeah, I, I remember we we had to do like a run through, of course, and. Um, you know the company, the uh, the parent company was Hattrick. So we, we there we were in um, in the offices at Hattrick doing a run through with Jimmy Mulville being one of the team 
on the team captains and um, our commissioner Joe Mason's on the other team and uh, finding clips of them just to sort of um, you know embarrass mm-hmm. them on the on the day. But you know, I think everyone loved the, loved what we did and we managed to sort of turn this um, show around. And Paul was uh, you know great to work with and uh, not worked with Paul before, but uh, that was really um, a real sort of kind of baptism of fire in a way. Really, not having worked for most of the year, suddenly we were like. Right, let's um, find six shows worth of material, clearing clips, which is always a thankless task. It's it's a long-winded um, process. Anyone who hasn't really done archive shows uh, don't realise quite the amount of work that goes into trying to clear everything and sort of get you know just you know crossing you know all the T's and everything like that is getting all the uh, permissions and uh, we have like a Kenny Everett clip and you have to get the permission of the estate of Kenny Everett and and that kind of thing so um, but we did it and uh, yes sure enough that went out in the January of um, 2021 and then soon after we got to do a second series which was amazing and because we were all sort of up to speed we were able to turn it around with a slightly longer um, Mm. production time probably six weeks that time (laughs) um it was yeah it was a great show to make really enjoyed it and um you know uh what I love doing especially when I'm serious producing is you you get the chance to sort of have a say in the set design and uh designing the title sequences things like that so on that one particular that was very much something that I wanted to um put my mark on got to Mm. sort of do a little um uh, a sort of a what we did, we did was, was sort of a you know a run through of as if TV showdown had existed since the 50s and we uh did all these um title sequ- this title sequence as if it evolved you know like an evolution of the TV showdown titles through the ages and um sort of got to do a nice little meta title sequence um so, so it was great fun really so great fun you're, I, I, and it was great fun to watch as well and it was a joy to revisit some of those clips uh, a fantastic logistical organizational um juggernaut to pull together in such a short space of time and of course he's a serious producer if the wheels do slightly wobble a bit it all falls to you it, 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 well, it's I headed was... your direction but that didn't happen well, no, well, I was very lucky. I mean, the exec producer, Guy Freeman, is very, you know, accomplished producer and mm, uh, a very calm, level-headed gentleman. So it was real, you know, really great to work with him. And, um, you know, and that's the thing in this in this um, business, really, I guess, it's keeping a calm head, yeah. a level head. And, um, you know, uh, and everyone on board that show was... Um, was really at the top of their game and it was so it was a real joy to have everyone you know working um with that team well I had, I had two teams the second time around a lot of people weren't available so it's um we had a different approach I, I think the second time we went more to get the the question setting uh a lot more um sharper because uh you know the first time it was a kick excuse yeah. me scramble, scramble yeah. and uh <laughs> the second time we were like right let's make sure that the question setting is absolutely spot on um so we had um question producer in lizzie who was absolutely amazing so we had these um you know people who really were suited to each department and uh and, and the whole thing with putting a show like that together of course is you you, you will find the clips but then you've got to sort of say to yourself well are there questions that we can ask about these clips it's all very well finding a great clip but 
uh, is there even a question we can ask of this? Because sometimes it's so obscure, you'll go, well, I don't even know what to ask, you know. Yes, um, yes. And you have to set it to a certain level for uh, your IT of the audience. There's, um, you know, so we had like easy questions, medium questions and hard questions, and uh, which were, I thought worked quite well. I mean, there's always going to be your... Um, the haters on Twitter go, oh, that's really easy, or that's really hard. It's like, well, if you just listen to the setup of the question, you'll hear that it's an easy, medium, hard round. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly, exactly that. And of course, you know, what's fascinating for me is to, to know that actually very often in, in these kinds of TV nostalgia shows, it's the clip that informs the question. Uh, it, you know, it's the, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? I, I, yeah. I, I find that very fascinating. Third series, I hope, in the offing. Oh, I hope, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, we've not heard anything yet, but um, it was nice to get a mixture of the old stuff in with the new. And, yeah. um, you know, and I, I, and I, you know, you know, despite my age, I like going back beyond my birth year. You know, I don't think there's any excuse for not knowing what, what happened in the 50s and 60s. And if you can get an old advert in from, you know, the mid 60s or whatever it is, then, um, then yeah. you know, why not? You know, it's always good to have something really, really old. Sure. That makes everyone go, oh, I haven't seen that for ages. You know, like, um, you know, we did used to call it Nestles. We didn't yes. used to call it Nestle. And it's like, so he's able to have, you know, an advert with Nestles on it. You know, yeah, that's it. I do, I'm not going mad. We definitely yeah. called it Nestles in the old days. Yes. <laughs> Talking of the old days, right back at the beginning of your career, I said that your first job in television was writing cue cards for Bob Monkhouse. How did you get that job? Well, I guess um, after I graduated from college, um, I was scrambling around for um, work. I did some work on some TV promo things and, uh, you know, the little sponsorship filming that they used to have before um, a programme or, or whatever. So I did some of those sort of jobs. And then my, my best mate was working at the Big Breakfast and, uh, and, and you know, a mutual friend. Basically, she put my CV in front of the producers and I got to do work experience which was, you know, I sort of think I might, might have jumped up the queue, maybe somewhat. <laughs> Next thing I know, end of um, 93 it was. And uh, I think my first week on The Big Breakfast doing work experience, Kim Wilde was the guest presenter with, with Chris um, Evans. Mm. And I think they, they hid it off quite well, if I remember correctly. Mm. Um, and then uh, a couple of weeks after that, Bob Monkhouse was the guest host with Gabby Roslin. So um, the, basically what happened was... Um, I think the call had come through from Bob's agent. It was like, well, he won't wear his, his readers on screen. Uh, he'll need some sort of cue cards. And uh, I'd already made myself kind of, um, you know, uh, useful around the office when I was, you know, in, in those couple of weeks, I'd be doing the work experience, doing any little bits of artwork and stuff. I mean, they had an art department, but I kind of kept sort of saying, well, I'll do, I'll do this and do that. So I ended up doing um, Bob's script on mm-hmm. giant A1 cue cards with big writing and, uh, you know, nice and clean and clear and all that. And, um, you know, I did them for, um, I remember finishing about three or four in the morning on the, on must have been the Sunday evening, Monday morning, mm. and delivering these cue cards, popping them in the back of the, the cab outside the office on, um, in Docklands there, uh, South Quay there, and uh, getting in, taking the car around to the, uh, the house on the, by the uh, lock there, lockkeepers' cottages, and having about an hour's sleep in in Ben the Boffin's bed, which was mm-hmm. the computer nerd uh, guy. There was like a bedroom in this in this house. And what was mad about that whole show? Anyone who you know, a lot of people passed through those doors. Was that for me, especially my first TV job? It was like walking into television. You there, you were suddenly in that in that lounge area at the big breakfast. It was like walking into your telly, and there there was that brightly coloured 
you know, kitsch house. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so basically I did the cue cards for Bob and um, I think it was the first day that at the end of the show, he came up to me, I couldn't believe it and said, but he hadn't had cue cards like that since his days at ATV. And I couldn't believe, believe that, you know, little old me, he was talking to me and, and but thanking me for that, which was um, so gracious. And, um, yeah. and it actually sort of changed my opinion of, of him uh, straight away, because I'd always thought, well, he was just, you know, one of the, the great big names in telly. And what's he, he's not going to have anything to do with me, but he, he thanked me. And I just, mm. I've never forgotten that, that how generous he'd been to me that day you know and so as a result I loved him (laughs) yeah he had that effect on people Grant uh oddly enough serendipitously you might well have scribbled some of the topical jokes that I would have faxed him over the uh, overnight (laughs) some Edmund's words back in those days so you really hit the ground running with the hippest television production company in tv planet 24 it was amazing. I mean, I'd watched The Word since 1990 when that hit the screens at tea time. And then they went a bit later because it got ruder and ruder. And uh, mm. yeah, I was office running for, um, you know, for about not quite a year, but doing stuff for, for the Big Breakfast and The Word. Um, mm. And where you'd get things like, you know, they had the hopefuls in those days. So uh, I remember having to get a, like a snuggable fish from Billingsgate. Um, and I got I got the wrong fish at first, so I remember sticking it in the fridge in the office kitchen and forgetting about it for a week, and that that stunk the kitchen out. And uh, so I think I've got something more of a you know some sort of um, angel fish or something with a bit more of a gob on it. So um, I've done that, and uh, and all all um, toenail clippings and skin shavings from a chiropodists for um, someone you know on the hopefuls to uh, eat a bowl of you know that um, I mean disgusting stuff, which telly is not like quite like that anymore but I remember doing that but yeah soon enough I got a, a, like a proper job um you know researching on the big breakfast doing the um all, all the clips on the other things where they'd say you know what happens you know who's behind the uh blur uh don't phone it's just for fun that was the old catchphrase and then you know on the ad break so I was doing all those um clips and I went from there really. so that was my um Yes, my baptism of fire. And uh, it was it was crazy. I bet. But here's the thing. I'm not camera shy, I'm bound to say. But your first, inverted commas, television appearance was on Big Breakfast. Could, would you kindly remind my listener of exactly what particular skill you demonstrated on the Big Breakfast? Uh, yeah. Well, that was um, when they were just desperate for anyone who could do something. <laughs> <laughs> they had very low threshold. Very low threshold. And uh, I think it was based on the guy in Animal House who used to play um, William Tell Overture on his throat. I, I, I did something similar. I played Match of the Day theme tune on my head with my knuckles. And, um, and at the time, I was a massive football fan. Um, so I sort of insisted on, uh, you know, the, the wearing uh, West Ham kit. I mean, I'm, I'm ashamed of all this now. But Anyway, it was good fun at the time. And, yeah, I, there's me standing in my shorts on, 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 at seven in the morning playing Match of the Day on my head. And, of course, I've been practising all <laughs> night long and all morning. So by the time I come to it, 
my head was you know, under under my hair was black and blue. <laughs> <laughs> so you had the concussion to uh, to prove yeah. your art. Yeah. And uh, Britain's Got Talent, beware, because you'll be lurking in the shadows at some oh, point. Yeah. Um, so you, you then had a steady rise through the ranks from studio runner. You got the researcher role. Uh, Planet 24, you became an associate producer. I guess it's a brilliant apprenticeship if you're wake, making your way through uh, a career in television. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, it was a, a real, you know, you really did learn lots of, um, you know, basic stuff and uh, what, what not to do as well, I think, because um, we were always blagging stuff. That was always the main thing that I remember on the planet. They didn't never had any budget for anything. So it was a case of can you blag this, blag that, ask someone to come on, and it was often for free. Mm. Um, so I remember blagging a, an aquarium that for the set of the studio and just saying, you know, um, you know, you get your name on screen to the people who made it, and they, they ended up with an aquarium uh, in built into the wall at one stage. But mm. um, speaking of which, I, I had to blag a, a small water tank, fish tank once, and um, from the uh, pet shop on Roman Road, which was quite near the studio in Bow, you know. And, uh, but sure enough, you know, we borrow it. And then I think Evans, Chris Evans uh, threw something at it and broke it. And of course, then you've got to sheepishly go back to the pet shop and go, oh, I'm really sorry, but, um, but it was Chris Evans who broke it. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was always like that. <laughs> There's a great deal of kudos attached to that damage. <laughs> that was all you could do. You could just sort of try and say, but, you know, it's been mm. on telly. Yeah. <laughs> what made you want to work in television to begin with? Because I'm guessing your, your degree wasn't in broadcast media or media studies or something like that. No, it was actually the first sort of animation degree in the country. So it was a BA honours degree in animation. And, and think when you when you talk to me about, you know, my first memories, really, it's there's a few. But I guess growing up as a kid, it's going to be your children's telly. And it's the wealth of amazing animation that we grew up with as kids, um, you know, and whether it was Mary Mungo and Midge or you know, Hector's House or uh, Bagpuss or Rainbow or anything like that, going through to Tony Hart, where they're sort of doing early animation, not not quite morph at that stage, but that early animation. And mm -hmm. um, at um, I was at Farnham and Farnham had uh, as one of its, um, you know, one of the guys associated with the course was was um, Bob Godfrey who did um, Rhubarb and Custard. So mm -hmm. he used to, he would come to the college and, you know, give the, a chat once in a blue moon. And, you know, I've got great memories. It's a small industry animation. And uh, when I graduated, you know, you'd end up very much be at festivals and stuff. And all the people in the animation industry were all sort of there helping each other. I remember helping Bob Godfrey load his, his car boot once uh, with some artwork. Because obviously with animation back in the day, it was lots and lots and lots of paper. Uh, reams of the stuff. And, uh, you know, before computers and that. And that's the thing I'm sort of pre pre-computer uh so I, I was doing cell animation and all that but yeah so you'd get to sort of know Bob Godfrey in a sort of minor way and that was just amazing for little old me thinking well there's me loving rhubarb and custard yeah so so really my early early sort of memories of telly are those sorts of um it's like a you know it's not telly as such it's more like the stuff that was made for telly you know not like not necessarily live broadcast stuff um more like these little cottage industries and uh yeah i did a show uh called dope sheet for channel four some years later where i got to go to peter Furman's farm 
um, and Oliver Postgate and wow. got to visit their barn where they made, you know, um, bagpuss and the clangers and, and held, you know, bagpuss and all this stuff. And it was just like yeah. my childhood, like I couldn't you know, pinch myself, you know. Yes. You're, quite you're amazing. You're far too young to remember uh, Ivor the engine. No, no, no. That was the thing. And he had drawers of these plan chests. You'd open them and inside would be Ivor the engine. And, and then in the next drawer down would be Nog in the Nog. And it would be all the little cutouts uh, in the drawers. And it was just incredible. And he would do, so they would do artwork for Tony Hart and stuff like that in the 60s, I think. Yeah. So very early on and vision on. Um, yeah. So I, I'm very much so that was for me, it was just uh, the, the kind of thing that I got to, um, you know, I got to visit these guys. And of course, it's a different it was a different era, really, when I graduated. In fact, two of the companies that I had worked for when I first graduated shut up shop and went to L.A. because there was a big brain drain to America for animators. They loved British animation. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, uh, it was Animation City who'd done amongst other things, the titles for Jeeves and Worcester, mm. they, they closed down and the other one was Speedy Films. So there were two companies that just sort of shut up shop overnight, just as I graduated Ugh. in 93. And that's why I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to go and, go and apply for Big Breakfast. So it was all kind of, um, you know, uh, fortune and fate or whatever that led me down the telly route because I wasn't planning on that. But at the same time, love telly. And another thing that I do remember very clearly is as a kid growing up was it will be right in the night. And I remember seeing the original one of them. And I always thought there's something in that, you know, things going wrong. And mm -hmm. I still, still to this day, you know, end up doing shows that where things go wrong. Predominantly clip shows, of course, which is yeah. an expertise yeah. that you've acquired. And once again, our, our paths crossed unknowingly on shows like in the 1960s at London Weekend, like TV Nightmares and the way they were, uh, and Tarrant on TV, of course, yeah. uh, where I did a bit of scripting and, and you were one of the clip researchers. Uh, is that how you got into clips then? Uh, well, it was, it, was, it was doing the clips on The Big Breakfast. It was um, ah. getting all the little, you know, getting the... Um, I, I did some film, I did a film show, the little picture show with Marietta Frostrup and that. So I, I, so I kind of got into film um and uh you know you'd have all the promo clips for that week and it would be a case of um <laughs> you'd get uh you know a film would be coming out on, on video or something like that and or you'd have um one i particular i remember getting shouted at by a particular um uh, uh a hero of mine it was a uh, basil brush uh mm -hmm. video was coming out on on um you know it must have been sell through and so i put these clips out in goodwill uh they were on promotion and then I get a phone call and uh, on the end of the phone, he's this irate fox just going, excuse me. And I'm literally getting <laughs> told off by, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Ivan. Ivan, Ivan yeah. yeah. Uh, it's accusing me of not asking permission. Well, obviously I had uh, permission because it was a, a promotion, a promotional clip, but it was, that was one of the, one of those early experiences in telly where you like, I've just been, you put the phone down, you're in shell shell. I've just been told off by Basil Brush. <laughs> it was dreadful. Um, but yeah, it was just a case of putting clips out and then you just build up, you know, a load of contacts. Uh, I've done a lot of film shows and stuff like that. But at the same time, I was uh, across all the archive um, libraries and you'd go to ITN or whatever if you needed stuff. And, um, you know, before you know it, you know, you end up sort of doing shows like, um, well, I'm trying to think really, that the sort of the earliest ones, but, you know, outtakey mm. sort of shows and yeah. funny shows and uh, yeah. getting into things like like Tarrant and, the you know, TV 
TV nightmares and things like that, uh, which was sort of the, they were like the, um, the they weren't the official uh, Dennis Norden shows. There was, there was, they were making loads of those shows at LWT, but um, I wasn't part of the Dennis Norden uh, gang. So mm. there was the, uh, there was sort of the, um, the other office that did all the other shows that were a bit like it. <laughs> so it was a kind of them and us kind of feeling. It, on the it, was, it was at the time, definitely. Yeah, there was. Um, and it was a case of, um, you know, trying to get, get to the clips first. I mean, it was a real sort of race about of trying to, you know, secure the, um, you know, a collection. And mm. when you were doing Tarrant, it was very similar as well. You know, you'd be ringing around and then you'd get a call saying, no, don't, Sorry, you can't uh, touch that. We've already got um, dibs on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the, back in those days, I mean, you're going back 20-odd years there. And, of course, Harry Hill. A tremendous man with a, a, a fantastic sense of humour, but also an incredible work ethic as well. That must have been inspiring. It was incredible. Um, yeah, I, I, I just... I love so much making uh, TV Burp. It was quite an amazing thing. I, I was always a big fan of his and uh, watched that uh, first series go. And then I got this call out the blue saying, you know, we'd really like you to come on board. And the thing with TV Burp was they, they didn't have permission to use BBC clips. Um, it was always um, a, a made a you know, standing joke on that first series of TV Burp which I didn't do. And it was like, the BBC won't let us have the clips. And Harry would go down to, to uh, TV centre and sort of wave his fists at the, uh, <laughs> at the building. And, and, and um, you know, but actually uh, they brought me on and said, you know, well, we, you'll, be, you'll be up for the, uh, you know, fair dealing was one of the sort of ways around that, which is sort of a criticism and review mm. uh, way of, um, you know, presenting stuff. So we went ahead in the second series and we did feature, you know, EastEnders and Casualty and some of those shows that you didn't get to uh, um, see before. Uh, but what was just brilliant about that was working with Harry, uh, the fact that, um, I mean, apart from uh, an incredible writing team of people who would view clips was the fact that you could, you would uh, leave him to go off and, you know, as a somewhat alter, go off and write exactly uh, the script that he wanted to write, which we hadn't. We couldn't even second guess sometimes what was going to be processed through his mind and what would come out the other end. So you'd get the uh, the script on the Sunday and you would go, oh, right, that's what he's done with that. That's where he's gone with that. And it was, you know, having recently watched a lot of Kenny Everett um, uh, stuff, you know, it's just a, it was completely refreshing and different and breaking, you know, lots of boundaries or, or what it seemed like what, what else was on telly at the time definitely felt very fresh and different and a, and a, a new approach to um to stuff but yeah I, I honestly laughed so much um I was um, just remembering I must have must have been three times where I was thought I was gonna you know uh, pass out because normally it would often be like during lunch break or something and is that thing where you're trying not to breathe um coke out of your nose you know sn you know snorting drink or mm -hmm. um or, or or choking on a pizza because you were just absolutely in stitches of what mm. the hell we we're talking about and that that was just during the lunch breaks you know and we we just had so much fun i mean it was a it was a, a long process you know we'd have two writers meetings a week and they would start at 9 30 and i think they'd go through till something like two o'clock uh, with i say with a short lunch break but you know that was an, it was an intense 
you know, half day and um, we had four brilliant writers and I was, and the, and the producer was there and I was privy as the sort of head of the archive department to sit in and take notes. And I would be, you know, basically keeping tabs on all the clips and every single joke that had come up, you know, obviously lots of them didn't make the cut. Um, but at the end of the, the session, we'd, um, everyone would go out and file out and I would sit there with Harry and we'd just, just go through and do a quick, you know, uh, you know, strike through anything that wasn't necessarily going to work because you don't want to have to re, re, uh, uh, go through all that again with the mm. team. Say here's five hours worth of stuff, but we'd get it down to a manageable amount, and um, and then yeah, and then before you knew it, we were, um, you know, we'd get this script for that for that particular week uh, from <laughs> delivered from Harry, and then you'd go through it on a Sunday night. And uh, everyone in each department would go, right, well, you know, obviously costumes were doing that side of things. The props department would go, right, we need to build the set of the Queen Vic mm. um, or whatever. And it was just a, a, a glorious uh, show to be a part of. Yeah, amazing. Um, and once again, time is under pressure because it, had, it was it had a topical nature to it, reviewing current TV shows. Uh, so you always had a deadline to hit as well. And I, I guess that's a discipline that you can learn from experience working with Harry. But someone told me, I don't know this, so I'm going to ask you, someone told me the rumour was that you had a performance role in Harry Hill's TV book. Is that right? Again, very often, they, you know, if there was a sort of, um, I don't know, a bloke who wasn't too old or too young, then, then that would fall to, often fall to me. I mean, we all got a chance um, to, to have, <laughs> have a fight. And in terms of that, obviously, there was the uh, the, the end of part fight, which, um, you know, has sort of become, you know, it's, you, you say there's, there's this thing and that thing and, you, you know, you end up going, well, there's only one way to find out. Inevitably, you're going to want to say "fight" on the end of that when you when you say that yes. sentence. Yes. And um, I was in. I've lost track of how many, but I was in. You know, quite a few. Uh, dressed as a toaster once because I thought <laughs> that would be quite a fun thing to be the toaster. And uh, there was one where I, I I basically got stopped doing it because I got injured in the fight. Uh, funnily enough, I mean, who'd have thought? <laughs> uh, because the woman, you know, who came on as the uh, um, my adversary was a, an actress or an extra who didn't realise that, you know, it's a play fight. It's not a real fight. And I was dressed up as a big cushiony monster thing. And she basically gave me a great fist, you know, fist in the face. And you can see in the, um, the particular one uh, where my head goes back and she punched me right in the, uh, in the nose. And then I had to sort of go down anyway. And then she basically body slammed me and popped my shoulder out. And I was just injured. And after that, they were like, yeah, I don't think you're, um, your liability you're you know but I do I do do the fights and then you get to do the other things I mean I did a great one where the uh I was meant to be um uh pouring wine in this in this sketch and of course uh yeah I couldn't believe I got the giggles and so like never you know don't don't want to wish for it but it actually happened to me I got the blooming I corpsed and and there's that thing where you you, you know, you come over like a cold sweat and you you just know that everyone's willing you to sharp and what's so funny and why are you laughing? And and it was awful, awful. Mm. And um, I just got the giggles and I just could not, um, could not get my lines out all of a sudden. And it's just the worst feeling. But yeah, it was brilliant to get to do those things, you know. In my view, it was one of the best TV shows ever. Oh, thank I, you, Colin. Really, yeah, great. I believe that because it was just a masterpiece of comedy uh, with, with with you guys and Harry at the helm, it, it, it was essential viewing. What was essential viewing that you pointed it out, of course, was all right on the night under Dennis's auspices. But after Dennis left the show, then you took up the mantle, quite uh, a legacy to inherit 
of producing It'll Be All Right on the Night. Yeah, I didn't do the first, I didn't serious produce it, but I was producer on it. But I think we, yeah, we, uh, we looked at bringing it back. And funnily enough, I think Harry was sort of in the frame, but he didn't want to do it. Um, mm. But uh, it definitely, um, eventually, after a couple of years of sort of mooting it, uh, you know, Griffiths Jones um, came up and uh, yeah, I, I, produ- I was producer on that. And then when um, uh, Steph, who, who series produced that, uh, left and did, did, she did a couple, I came on board and I got to do, I think it was five with Griff and um, quite a few with him anyway. And that, and uh, a completely different sort of show to the one that um, Dennis made um, in a, in a way, because Dennis was quite, um, Dennis was sort of very soft and gentle and Griff is, is, was quite, uh, you know, I think he'd admit it himself, is quite sort of uh, agitated and uh, spiky at times. Mm, yes. um, so, so we, but it was, again, it was amazing. And he was a, he's a big old, um, uh, you know, one of, one of my heroes growing up, you know, not the nine o'clock news and, um, and uh, Alas Smith and Jones. And just to be in the room with him was just a, a joy because, uh, we used to go to his his, his lovely house in um, in uh, London, and uh, his kitchen's big enough; it's as big as my house is, you know. And you'd just <laughs> sit there, and he would just pace around the kitchen, muttering to himself. And then every now and then he'd shout out, sort of, you know, a line or something to uh, write down. But it was uh, it was great, yeah, it was great fun, and um, getting to work work with, with him. But uh, sure. But yeah, I didn't. Um, I, I but then you know after a while uh, that you know he left that as well, and then we brought in um, uh, David Williams. So how different was it with David Williams? It must have been different. Yeah, David Williams was amazing. So what happened there was we had um, uh, no budget. They didn't want to do a studio, and uh, it was a case of um, you know can we uh, do. Uh, do David in voiceover and, uh, and and so of course you have to get around that solution well how do we how do we um, do it'll be all right in the night but we're not doing the big shiny floor studio that was uh, a challenge and I used my I guess my animation sort of um, head and thought well you know what we could do we could do a sort of um, uh, animated David Williams uh, let's try that so I designed a little David a little animated David Williams um, which um, I had to sign off, and uh, sure enough, he was like, "Yeah, no, that's that's great." And uh, so we then went ahead, and I, I commissioned. Um, in fact, I, I used uh, I asked Zig and Zag, uh, the guys who who are, who are Zig and Zag, and said, "Well, who do you use?" Because um, they've got their animated show, and so they they suggested the uh, the company they use in Ireland. So I ended up going to them, and uh, uh, they did me a sort of. So I designed, you know, storyboards for. Um, David to come across the little situation scenarios for each of those little links between uh, the clips, which I, I based around the Pink Panther uh, animated sequences, of course. And that sort of, you know, I always end up sort of, I guess, um, thinking about something, you know, before that's inspired me. And um, mm. so I ended up calling those shows. It was um, Return of uh, It'll Be Alright Tonight and Revenge of It'll Be Alright in the Night, both of which borrow very heavily from the Pink Panther films. And uh, so they, they were the ones we did. Um, unfortunately, they didn't really get, um, didn't really take off with anyone. I don't think anyone quite appreciated the animated David Williams, but it was brilliant to have a go with it. Um, because, yeah, really, uh, you know, trying to cover VO with anything other than, um, uh, you know, um, 
third party material or titles can, can get can be a little bit draggy but uh just wanted to try it out and i'm really glad we did actually because it was it was a really good fun to try that and i've always quite been partial to those animated sequences that you mm. you still get them with pixar films you don't, you don't you know with pixar film they'll um you know if they've got a bit of money something like ratatouille they'll they'll spend a little mini budget on, a, on an entire different style animation mm. uh just to, to sort of tell the uh to do the credits and so so that was my homage to um to those you know yes i think you know uh, on reflection remembering those david williams versions of the show that you produce i think maybe it was the wrong time and the wrong place i think in it give it a bit more time give it a different maybe different channel i think it would have been a huge success because i thought I, I could i watching it i could appreciate the ingenuity and the time and the the, the terrific 360 spin that you put on the on on the format i thought it was terrific um oh cool thanks Here's what I want to talk to you about in terms of feature films, please, because in notwithstanding your television and your animation, <laughs> you uh, you actually were one of the producers of a feature film, a documentary feature film called Under the Radar, the Mike Edmonds story. Uh, Mike Edmonds being one of our most recognisable uh, actors starring in Star Wars and uh, who um, Roger Rabbit, of course, and not forgetting Harry Potter. So, how did that project start? So, my friend um, Simon Frith is—he uh, went to my school. Um, he was a few years older than me, but there was sort of a local. In, I live in Southend, or you know, in the area, and uh, there was a, a sort of a collective of you know filmmakers and that who would meet down the down the uh, the weather spoons in Southend once a month or something. And I think I turned up there once. And Simon was there and, uh, you know, I, I sort of knew of him. And anyway, cut long story short, he was friends with Mike Edmonds, has known him for 20 odd years. And um, and so when he was looking to sort of put together, like maybe Mike's a little, like a, maybe a, a five, 10 minute film of Mike's story, was looking for someone to sort of help, you know, bring that story on, whether it was with archive or a bit of animation or some artwork or something like that. Um, and it's one of those things that grew and grew. And so we just started doing this. Um, uh, we, we set up camera, we sat with Mike, we started interviewing him in his house and did some GVs of him, you know, because he's a little person. Mm. And the point with Mike, Mike is he's the last surviving time bandit. And, um, you know, he's still going strong. He's, uh, he's a great guy. And we basically got to do this, um, you know, this, this interview with him. And of course, every time he opened his mouth, something new would fall out and it would be like, oh my God. So you, so he started, his break was with, um, uh, uh, well, oh God, what's his name now? Um, Ken Loach, right? So, mm. uh, you know, and then he just basically uh, just kept getting all these roles. And then next thing you know, he's uh, in Empire Strikes Back and and he's an Ewok in Return of the Jedi. But yeah, the, the Time Bandits, you know, is for me growing up a great film with one of my favourite, um, one of my favourite tropes being the bad ending. Uh, I love a film with a bad ending, like Brazil or something, you know, terrible, mm -hmm. terrible bleak ending. And that's uh, what Terry Gillian does so well. And yeah, we just basically kept interviewing Mike and we gradually told his story. And what happened was we made like an hour length version, um, which we put out, but then we'd put calls in for other people that Mike had worked with. And what happened was we ended up doing an extended version that became, I think, just a really great documentary that we're still trying. I think, we, I don't know if there's any chance now, but we just think it would make a great thing to be seen on like a Netflix or an Amazon Prime, you know, because 
Um, there's lots of fans on these things, but we basically got hold of um, Colin Firth, who'd been um, a big, you know, worked with Mike. And, you know, you've got Colin Firth basically saying that Mike was a hero to him. And now you've got, if you've got someone like Colin Firth being starstruck, mm. uh, that's pretty, pretty cool. We got Michael Palin, we got Terry Gilliam. And what was brilliant was, um, so I, I realised early on, well, you know, what with all this Terry Gilliam connection and that, um, when we went to film Terry Gilliam, I sort of outright asked him, I said, look, you know, I would like to do some animation based on your style. Would you mind if I sort of borrowed heavily on your sort of cutout animation style and um, almost borrow some elements from Time Bandits? And he was like, yeah, sure, go ahead, which was incredible to get that sort of... Um, uh, you know, authorization endorsement, yeah. endorsement from someone who I drew from the Monty Python Papabock. Uh, yeah. The um, I was always drawing the Terry Gilliam artwork out of uh, from that from that particular book, the Monty Python book. And uh, so he said, "Yeah, no, go for you know, go, yeah, go for it," which was just brilliant. And um, so we, so yeah, we've got elements of Time Bandits, you know, where they fall through the sky, you know, the uh, sky opens the, uh, and then they all land in the haystack. So mm. we were able to borrow elements from that with his, you know, um, say so, which was absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, we got great people um, involved in that. And we, we got it shown in uh, the, uh, the, the Hot Springs Film Festival. I, I went with Mike, I, I sort of helped um you know, because he needed a bit looking after, but I, you know, I sort of um, chaperoned Mike over to Arkansas, mm -hmm. spent a week over there at a film festival with him, and we we got into the um, uh, Rain Dance uh, Film Festival in London uh, yes. with it, which was uh, which is brilliant, you know. Um, and uh, you know, Danny John Jules, another person who worked with him on um, Maid Marian and Her Merry Men. Mm -hmm. So you know, he was uh, yeah, he's a, he's a great uh, he's got he's done some great stuff, Mike, and um, yeah, real. A real treat and honour, really, to get to do a film which which you don't tend to do very often with um, someone who's who's sort of um, alive and kicking is to yes. make a film about them, and they're sort of so heavily involved. Um, I think because of uh, the nature of you know Mike's um, disability and that, you, the, the, um, I don't know. There's there's a real a lot of goodwill, and he's got a real life affirming positivity that comes out of it. So it's a really lovely film that we wish. Uh, it's basically a case of we need to get someone to pay for the Dark Crystal and probably the Time Bandits footage. And if we could just get a little bit of money, yes, it, it would probably get you know funded, and someone might snap it up. And we just had we weren't able to get that funding to get yeah. it onto a platform, so it's only ever been seen on in film festivals. But you know, we won best film on a micro budget um, in that, uh, so that was really really good. Um, so we did. Because you know, our budget was all free, free services, you know, apart from, apart yeah. from uh, the odd bit here and there. Mike is is such a personality and such a familiar face and figure that you know he deserves it as well. Is there, there any evidence, any micro clips and bits and pieces one might see on YouTube of of Under the Radar? There's a pro, there's a trailer. We've definitely got a trailer. It's, mm -hmm. it's not a, it's not relation then, Cole. I wish he was. No, no. I wish he was. All the famous people called Edmonds, Mike, Noel, all spelt the same way, all deny any knowledge of ancestry or relativity to me. Absolutely. <laughs> but we can yeah. but so if we if we type in on YouTube Mike Edmonds, we will see the trailer at least. And it gives Under the point. radar, yeah. 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 We've got we've got, you know, we've got Robert Watts, the Star Wars producer, and um, you know, various um Various people popping up in that, so yeah, it's. Uh, but that's all. Oh, sadly, that's all we really we've got in there, really. Yeah, you. Um, 
animation has informed all, as, as you've, you've told us so eloquently, all your television making. So I've got my laundry list of your credits. You worked on some Disney specials for Sky, I understand, which I, I must admit, forgive me, I didn't see. That must have been a joy, really, working with Disney in some capacity. Yeah, well, that was when Sky launched a Disney Channel. I think that was obviously, I think that's now probably become, I don't know if, if that exists because of Disney Plus. But anyway, at the time, there was the, uh, they wanted to have the Disney's Greatest Moments, which was, which was one of those tough gigs where you've got to watch all the Disney films and find the best bits, which, you know, it's, it's hard work. Must have been hard. To do it. Yeah, it was awful, awful. <laughs> um, so that was, that was amazing. And, um, and then at the same time, they also had this film, this little film that they were doing um, press junkets for uh, called Frozen. And they required having to go to New York and L.A. and interview these 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 people and have have someone sit at a baby grand and sing Let It Go at you. You know, it was really tough. Um, but, you know, as I say, I, I had to do that. And it was just brilliant. We got to. Um, yeah. So I got to interview you know, all the cast of Frozen and uh, meet the um the uh, the couple who produced all that amazing music and uh, and the same time do the uh, the Disney's greatest moments and of course and amongst all the people that I interviewed one in particular was uh, a real one and that was um, uh, Sir Bruce Forsyth who ah. um, of course had been in bed knobs and broomsticks as a, a, you know like a, a spiv with a flick knife basically um, and it was just so brilliant to. Uh, to interview Brucey because uh, he turned up so dapper. And this was about, uh, I'd say, several years ago. He had the most you know, pristine uh, threads on. He looked absolute the biz and uh, he was so lovely. And of course, growing up with Brucey, you always think he's going to be this sort of, um, I don't know, sort of one looking behind your back and sort of turning on his head and going grimacing. But actually, he was absolute, you know, gentleman. And uh, it was brilliant to interview him. And what's amazing, of course, that he would, um, you know, you'd ask him a question about Snow White and he'd go, oh, it was amazing. I I, I skipped back from the cinema dancing and singing all the songs. You're like, my God, he was old enough to have gone to see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs at the cinema. (laughs) 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 It was incredible. Um, But yeah, he was wonderful and so really you know one of those a bit like meeting Bob Monkhouse really one of those moments that you know it's sort of if your little self could see you now you know talking to this guy and uh you know because I'd done I'd done Room 101 um as you know you mentioned Paul Merton I did a couple of series of Room 101 when Paul Merton did it and that was when Bruce had his sort of um his sort of slight you know um you know resurgence when he was sort of becoming a bit like Bob Bob had that sort of around that time where suddenly you know Brucey was doing you know did have I got news with the uh the deco cards and all that stuff with um Iraq Mm. and it was and so he did the room 101 and um so yeah so um I always remember that that room 101 was hilarious because he put Lolo Rosso in and I remember my my producer ringing him up going, Bruce, have you got anything else you'd rather put into Room 101 other than Lolo Rosso, which is a lettuce leaf? <laughs> Lolo Rosso. Yes, I don't like Lolo Rosso. <laughs> but that's why I always remember, whenever I think of Bruce, I think of Lolo Rosso. <laughs> <laughs> Artwork-wise, you've, uh, you're a, I've seen your paintings and people can see your artwork by going to your website. You'll give us the address at the end, please, if you would. Uh, ter- you're a terrific artist. You really are. And you've, as I said, you've exhibited in London. But tell me about the wallpaper that you designed. 
well that was just one of those things where I, I like to keep busy you know I just I just feel like uh, if I'm not working because you know freelancing can be tricky sometimes there'll be periods of um, of no work at all and so I always like to try and have something in the background uh, mm-hmm. whether that's writing a screenplay or something or mm-hmm. in this case it was like right I'm gonna do something and with my artwork very often I think some artists might relate to this is that you can't get rid of it so you might so I'd always overprice my artwork because I didn't want to sell it or I'd sort of value the time I'd spent on it and yes. try and work out the going rate per hour and then you'd sort of charge probably a little bit too much for it but so often I couldn't release my artwork but I thought well the artwork on a, a wallpaper is a good way of um having something that is my artwork that I can reproduce in bulk and I'm and I can sell it at, at a you know reasonable price it's uh it's not the cheapest wallpaper it was, but it's but by no means like a Boris Johnson wallpaper you know mm-hmm. so it's definitely uh you know affordable and yep. a little bit um yeah a little bit fun so I've got yeah it's um it's just a little um it's got easy jet planes on it for example because it's oh. south end on sea airport I'm, i live by the airport now every now and then you might hear they're, they're flying back here now the easy jets are back mm. um but it's got you know uh ice the local ice creams on there the ice cream brand rossi's ice cream which is the best ice cream in the world mm. uh and proud south end boy and so you know it's got the curzel which was uh you know the big old um venue for um gigs and mm. uh you know the, the fairground and stuff back in the day and uh just various elements that um, I just thought, well, that'd be a really good quirky little wallpaper to do. And so I just, I made that and um, my friend helped me sort of do the, uh, the computery bits because I, I could do the drawing, but um, I'm not so au fait on the uh, technical aspects of the layout, but it yeah. was one of those um, little projects that I'd done. It was, um, yeah, so that was sort of inspired by the, uh, one of the Beastie Boys, the, uh, the, uh, the Americans, uh, I know. American rap group. Yeah, remember <laughs> they did a Brooklyn one. One of them did, like D did a, Bro- a Brooklyn one. I thought, oh, I, I could do that for Southend, um, and I've not done one yet for anywhere else. Um, although I did do something a bit inspired by it. My friend uh, Daryl Eastley is a uh, music journalist. He um, had a book that he co-authored, um, which was the Decker. Uh, records 90th anniversary book which was uh, amazing and he asked me to do like a bespoke uh, map of Decca London which was all the places in London that Decca records had recorded or printed you know the pr- the printing plants or or the mm. offices the management offices Walthamstow uh, Hall all these different places and I did a, a Decca map that was sort of a bit like my wallpaper and that was sort of um so that's a, a thing that I've sort of done I've, I've done that sort of style again, and I, mm. I'm hoping to do it again. Really, I'm hoping to do more of that. And there, di- your, your different styles that you can you can encompass with 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 your penmanship is is very impressive. And I mean that really because also you drew the comic strips that Harry Hill wrote. Yes, yes, that's terribly impressive, sir. Yeah, when he did the TV book, for example, uh, I ended up sort of helping to sort of project manage that, not only finding stills and that to um, illustrate the, the photo stories. Um, yeah, we did like a, it was like a book of knowledge or whatever those, uh, you know, those, um, oh, those books that you'd have in the sort of 50s and 60s, those mm. uh you know, so pictures of cavemen or dinosaurs or whatever, but they'd always have a really funny Harry text at the side so I did that I did we had the the adventures of Ant and Deck 
which was them as very, very tiny people living next door to each other, uh, going on journeys through the uh, sewers and that with, you know, riding on the back of a, of a, of a mouse or mm. um, encountering spiders that were giant, you know. So, we, yeah, that was really good fun. And then he, um, he had a little guest spot in the Sun newspaper where I got to, um, again, I got like the script on a Sunday and uh, um, I just drew these, uh, these little short comic strips that were... Um, you know, a part of the, um, you know, I think it was uh, the sun in the sun. It was Ali Ross who used to do the, the TV thing or whatever it would have been. It was Bushel, actually, if I remember rightly. Oh, uh, was it? That was before. And then I think Ali Ross it was uh-huh. a bit after. And okay. then, uh, yeah. And then uh, Harry got to do a couple of those as, um, uh, you know, the, the weeks that he was on holiday or whatever. And mm. so I got to do a couple of those. And yeah, and, and uh, that was mad. Opening the sun newspaper and suddenly there they were. Um, although they coloured colored them in um one of the, the second week really badly and it's like <laughs> oh god you know it's like, like <laughs> but, but anyway that I was brilliant that. so yeah, yeah i got to do the old um yeah the artwork on that which was great and but doing the tv burt book was one of those uh, things because those that book was designed as one of the um you know I, I mentioned the monty python book you know everyone had a book out right the goodies had a few and uh you, you name it books a bit like the comedy record yeah uh, the, the annual you know there there's something that you you know i absolutely love those things and they've got that's the chance where writers get to um you know uh fill up fill up pages with these mad ideas that probably mm. didn't make it to telly um yeah. and we had like you know things like uh, harry in the tv bird book had you been framed in 2d which was basically <laughs> you know it'd be a photograph of a, a deck chair or something and we were just it was just so clever and um mm. you know the, yeah. you know, a lot of the writers on Burt, um, they they got to uh, you know, flex their muscles doing the TV Burt book, and it was designed just like that as one of those sort of um, old school comedy annuals that mm. no one really sort of did did much after a, yeah. a time. Yeah, you know, for sure. Speaking of writers and writing, you fired up the word process set to do a bit of writing yourself, sir. I have, I, I have, yeah, I have. It's, um, I mean, I guess I'm probably keeping my cards close to my chest, but I've, I've had a couple of uh, attempts at trying to write a couple of true stories. And I've got one, one story in particular that I absolutely, uh, I go on about it all the time. It's someone who, I'm not going to say who it is, but it's oh. just someone in, from entertainment uh, from the 60s uh, who, yeah, is someone <laughs> that a lot of people laugh at me and go, what the hell? But I, yeah, I've, um, I've written a screenplay that I really would like to try and get off the ground, which I can see being a nice, warm, cosy, Christmassy sort of film. So I love, I love the writing. And again, it's the sort of thing I would do when I'm not working. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I just, there's something, I mean, as you'll know, uh, sitting writing and I've, you know, I like to put on a bit of, um, yeah, I like Philip Glass is a good one to write to. I find something that's not too busy in your head, and you can mm. just sit there and lose yourself for for, for hours mm. um, in their world and and having these conversations and imagining what they're going to say. It's there's just something magical about it, and I absolutely love writing. So that's something I'm hoping to do more often. Um, obviously, I'm writing um, I'm, the show I'm doing at the moment. I'm doing a Billy Connolly. Uh, um, show for Channel Five, and that's uh, of course writing um, voiceovers and script. But there's nothing quite like writing a, um, you know, an actual screenplay and uh, having dialogues with people and these characters who are living, breathing in your head, and you can see it all, and you just want to make it happen, make it real. Yeah. And um, and I and I know the actors I want to play these characters. Um, so yeah, it's all that sort of thing. You just just kind of 
kind of need to find the right people to make that happen and it would be brilliant it's fabulous alchemy isn't it when you when a, a blank sheet of paper turns well I, as you know in, in various medium media yes plural uh animation and now words to fill a blank sheet of paper with stuff from your brains is just fantastic isn't it um Congratulations on giving up the cigarettes. Congratulations on giving up the drink. <laughs> I read about that, and that deserves enormous applause. And that also, but also that squares with your discipline as a producer and a creator of artwork and writing. It's all to do with willpower and self-discipline. Uh, so that's my lecture for the day for you, Grant. Oh, thank Philpott. you very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was it was turning the big five O last year, and I just thought, well, you know what? I've had a really good time doing those things but actually uh i've got kids who are like adult um mm. and um coming up to an adult and just want to sort of see them grow up and uh yeah, yeah it was um it, and, and again actually i you know that that writing was something that i wasn't sort of missing uh that when i was writing it was really nice to actually just you know crack on and do mm. that as something else instead you know for sure um tell us your website address where we can view your terrific artwork and those uh, frames of comic strip that you put together for Harry. Oh yeah, sure. So it's www.grantphilpot, which is um, P-H-I-L-P-O-T-T, mm-hmm. one L, two T's in the pot, as my nan always used to say, <laughs> .co.uk. So grantphilpot.co.uk. And uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff on there. I'd probably need to have a look at it and update it. <laughs> I had a look at it yesterday. Uh, it's all right i promise you it's damn good stuff it really is um thank you very much indeed for your time thank you for all the entertainment you've brought us over the years in various forms uh and and i urge you i urge my listener to go to to grant's website have a look because i think you'll be incredibly impressed thank you for your time sir uh we have been listening folks to the magnificent mr grant philpot thank you thank you grant